Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, I'm joined today by Nikki Pike. Uh, Nikki and I were just chatting a couple of seconds ago, and, and I was just complimenting her on the world's easiest name to remember. So... Uh, hopefully her message is going to be equally as clear and it's going to be really fab time to spend with us. So hey, Nikki, nice to see you. Hi, Russell. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. So where in the world are you today? I am in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. Oh, I see you're Canadian. Oh, right. That's great. Oh, so half an hour of common sense. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And bears, hopefully lots of bears. They're close enough for my liking, yep. <laughs> oh, they're really? Are you in that sort of part of the world where you, you have actual bears? Yeah, absolutely. If I were to drive 45 minutes west of me, there's bears and cougars and wolves and all the fun furry creatures. <laughs> I like a cougar being a fun furry creature. That's, that's not, not what I thought of a cougar was. Anyway, enough of that. So that's messy and silliness. So, um, Nikki, tell us what it is that you do. Well, I'm actually a mortgage broker. Um, So I've been a broker for 15 years now and I love it. I get to be my own boss and it's fantastic. And um, what's your story that gets you to where you are today? Tell us why you're here to chat to us. I'm here to chat. um, My last, well, going back 10 years, there's been some bumps along the way. My last six years have had some bigger bumps and my last two years have had some really major, major bumps. And I've learned a lot along the way. So I think it's, I've learned that sharing is healing for me and for others. So some of those bumps, I have a beautiful daughter who's my miracle baby. I was told, we were told that we would not be able to conceive even with all of the scientific advancements available to us. Um, We went ahead anyways, and we got this beautiful little girl and she just turned nine this summer. So very grateful for that, but definitely a, a tricky journey. Fertility is not a fun journey. Um, I would say that was probably the start of some problems in my marriage as well. And so my marriage ended six years ago. Shortly thereafter, my mom was diagnosed with dementia and she was quite young. So she was my childcare. She helped me so much being self-employed. She was here all the time to help me from the day my daughter came home from the hospital. So it was a huge loss for my daughter and I when she passed away in 2019. And it was sudden, even though she had dementia and we knew that this disease would take her from us, 
it, it was not a normal thing for it to take her so quickly. And she went downhill quickly. And then I'll never forget the day my phone rang and it was a call that she had passed. And even the doctors were, were really sorry. We don't, we don't know what happened. Um, I never did do an autopsy on her. I just felt like that was something she wouldn't have wanted. It wasn't something I needed to, in our minds, she, they checked her at 5 a.m. They checked her at 5.30 and she had passed in between. So she passed in her sleep. That was, you know, I could, I could, that gave me peace. So there was that. And then my brother, my brother really struggled with her diagnosis. He struggled a lot throughout different times in his life. He had some addiction, some alcoholism, um, some anxiety, some depression. And when things happened with our mom, of course, all of those things got tough. Like they just kept coming more and more out for him. And so, you know, we did our best to support him and he actually passed away in December um, of 2020. So it, it was an interesting, I remember again, same thing when I got that phone call and my dad had called and told me that my brother wasn't breathing and I kind of went, okay. And once it sunk in, I, I, I thought that maybe he had made the choice that he had um, decided his time, it was his time to leave this world. And, and for some reason, again, I felt somewhat of peace with that. I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like if that was his choice and he was at peace, then I would find peace with that. And then we got the autopsy results on him and we found out his tox screen was completely clean and he had died from a hematoma. So he had fallen and hit his head. And so then I got a little bit angry. Um, you know, it was one thing, my mom was 71 when she passed away. My brother was 44. Mm. They were both very young and I really felt robbed. I felt it with my mom too, but I had two years to feel robbed. My brother, I had, it was instant and I, it just, he was clean. He was sober. He was working towards that. And I, I always knew he wanted to get sober and that's why I kept helping him, like sending him to, to rehab, all of those things. So yeah, it, I got really, really angry. Um, it was like when my brother died, all of the anger and all of the feelings I had losing my mom came right back up, yeah. but worse. And so I went to a really dark place, um, really dark place. And I don't think people talk enough about their grief and their loss and what we actually go through in those early days. And when we do start to find our healing, and I think we just need to talk more about that. Okay, fantastic. Well, you've given us an awful lot to unpack to start off with, but but I know also one of the things that you talk about is labels, and I thought let's let's, let's just also just explore the top level of that as well before we choose where to go next. Well, tell me a little bit about your thinking about this. Well, I've always been, shall we say, outspoken. I've always well, I shouldn't say that. As a child, I was quite quiet, but once I found my voice, I've always used it. And it's not something I actually used to think about myself, but I remember when my brother passed away and I kind of reconnected with one of our mutual good friends from high school. And she made a comment that she was just always so, she just looked up to me for always being so strong and all of these things. And, and all of these conversations started, you know, you start thinking about the labels that you have. So people refer to me as strong. They refer to me as brave. Those are the positive ones. And then I started thinking about, okay, those are great, but what are my negative? labels and how are those affecting me and I started to go back to you know my marriage and different relationships and I was demanding and I was 
emotional and I was crazy and I was high maintenance and I was all of these things. And I started, I believed those for so many years. I heard them so much that I believed them and living under labels like that. It's not a good place to be. So, and then it was the grieving daughter and then it was the grieving sister and then it's the single mom and then it's divorced woman. And it's all of these things that people referred to me as I didn't, I started thinking like, why can't I just be me? Why do I have to have all these labels attached to me? And I started thinking about labels that other people have. And once I, again, started talking about my labels, people started reaching out and talking to me about their labels. Hmm, Interesting. And I guess being grief stricken is a label. Absolutely. And victim is a label and, and they're so survivor, right? (sighs) how many times after you lose people are you reminded of how strong you are and well you're still here you're still you still get to live your life and in those early days of grief that's just not the language you want to hear I didn't feel strong I didn't want to be a survivor I didn't want those things because all I could think about was that my mom and brother were gone so we use this language and these words and these labels but is the person on the other end, the person that you're saying them to, are they in a place to receive those words and labels or Mm. like, are you helping or are you hurting? And so it's really helped me change how I speak to people, whether it's going through grief or a difficult time in their life, or even a good time in their life. So, I mean, I get the thing about labels, Uh, but what's the problem with them really? For me, underneath a lot of them is judgment. So now this is talking about negative labels. So divorced, a lot of people, the word divorced is fine. I'm divorced, perfectly fine. It's when the label of divorce is used versus the word. So the label of divorce has certain judgments to it. Like, oh, she's divorced. She, you know, her marriage failed. She didn't try. Why didn't she try and fix it? What happened? And so there's, I mean, when I was going through my divorce, I had people tell me, well, God doesn't believe in divorce. Um, you know, oh, I can't believe you got divorced. Like what happened? Like all of these things. And they're coming from a place of judgment. So again, this isn't, all labels are not created equal. All labels aren't a form of judgment, but some of them are. So So is the problem with a label like divorce, is that a problem with the perception, your perception of that word? Because of course, another person could be saying divorced, well, hey, single, attractive, available, inspirational um you know those those sorts of words you know what i mean so is it is it the fact that the divorce label has that connotation for you or are you saying that a judging person just uses uses that as shorthand in a way i think it's both for me so my parents got divorced when i was young so i always had an a full understanding of divorce and grew up with again the label of divorce because my mom you know that was 35 years ago, divorce did have more of a judgment to it then than it does now. So, I mean, we obviously perceive everything through our own lens and, and I do believe that. And I know that, yes, some of it is me, but I have fully had people say those things to me that the judgment is evident. And then, so some of it's my interpretation, some of it is their judgment. And, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, certainly you've got someone who's grieving and you're saying, but you're very strong. It, it sort of makes you wonder whether they're saying you're very strong because that suits them and their narrative of you. Because well, actually that so. allows them to, do, to deal with you in a particular sort of way. 
again, I think it's, it's, you know, when we talk to people, it's about what we need and not always what they need. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to grief, they don't know what to say. I mean, even losing my mom and brother, I've had friends this year that have lost someone in their lives. And I just say to them, look, even with all the grief I've experienced, I still don't know what to say. Um, and that's, I've just kind of learned to just say, you know, I'm here, even if you just need someone to sit with you, I'm here for what you need. And again, when people say you're strong, they do mean it in a positive way. They're trying to help you gain or find that strength and remind you of your strength. And, and it is how they see us. And I work really hard on taking it that way. But again, when you're in those early days of grief, you're not thinking the same way that you are when you haven't just lost someone. So your brain is, is firing differently and you just don't interpret those words the same way that you would under a different circumstance. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting thought. Uh, and you're right. I think people do find it hard to deal with grief. Uh, I mean, part of it is a, a terrible fear themselves of having to experience it for themselves, but also that terrible feeling of whatever you say is either not enough, too much, going to trigger some sort of unwarranted response so so tell me so tell me the the, the expert the experience you had with grief because it can be different for different people can't it yeah I think for me my grief um it really surprised me and it scared me so I had lost you know I lost my grandma my mom's mom when I was 13 I lost my mom's dad when I was about 21 so I had experienced grief before but not like this my mom and I were extremely close um she always had my back no matter what trouble I got myself into no matter what was going on um she just always had my back she gave me so much in terms of my love for animals and just everything about who I am and when she got sick it was so hard to watch this woman who I thought was the strongest person in the world who I thought was the smartest person in the world just the most amazing person. And she changed every day right before my eyes. And so I was grieving her every day. And so I thought when the day came, or I, when I was anticipating the day of her death, I guess, in a way, which you do when someone is, is terminally ill, I looked, I didn't look forward to it in the terms of losing her. I looked forward to it in the terms that she would find peace because mm. dementia, it robbed everything from her. And it happened very quickly and it happened in a really awful way for her. And she, it was like, she still had enough there in her brain that she knew, but she couldn't communicate. And she, so she would sit in her wheelchair and just rock back and forth. Sometimes she would scream. Sometimes she would run her wheelchair into the wall over and over and over. And she would grab my hand and squeeze it so hard. And it felt like she was always trying to communicate and couldn't. Yeah. So it was a really difficult journey. And really that part was only about six months. So when she passed, the the level of grief that came up was it knocked I it knocked me over and I always was the strong person I always was the person that made it through everything and could be there for everybody else and suddenly I couldn't be there for myself and every ounce of energy I had went to my daughter yeah. and that was it I did what I had to do to get through the day for her I spent a lot of days in bed I didn't want to talk to anyone if people talked to me if they said anything I I yelled at them. I have one friend, I yelled at her so bad. Um, I did it again when my brother passed and I don't know why she was the person I took my anger out on, but um, you know, when people say things like, I understand, 
I got really angry. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Stop saying that to me. You're not me. You didn't just lose your mom and your brother. You still have everybody. You don't understand. Stop saying that. So the anger for me was beyond. Again, I've never felt emotions like that. So, so so that's a really interesting observation, actually, because it is odd that someone say, I understand, but it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But what, what are more useful things to hear? I think it's something like the pain you're going through right now, it really sucks. And I'm here in any way you need me. Yeah. Um, you know, my my grandma so on my dad's side she passed away while I was in Portugal so my dad's grieving right now and my daughter wrote him a really nice now my daughter's nine so it's she amazes me every day and on one hand on the second hand I'm kind of like wow I don't know if I should be proud or sad that my nine-year-old has such an understanding of grief but she said you know when someone we love goes to heaven we and then we think they're gone forever we have to remember they're always in our hearts And she wrote him this in this card and she had asked me what to say to him. And I said, you know what, honey, I don't know. I don't always have the words. I want like you come up with some words and that's what she came up with. So I think it's just letting them know that the pain is real. And you know what I said to one of my cousins is I described my grief in those early days as I was in the impact zone of like waves in the ocean. So the title, the waves were so big and they came so close together and so quick. I was in the impact zone where I couldn't come up for air. I I literally felt like I was drowning and couldn't breathe. And then as time went on, the waves didn't get smaller, but I had time to breathe between them. And I think that's the best way that I can describe it for me. So anyone feeling those tidal waves of grief, feeling like they're in the impact zone, there's not a lot that we can say to them other than you're not alone. I will sit with you in silence beside you, whatever you need. Cause sometimes they don't, we don't want to talk because again, there are no words, but we don't want to be alone. And people don't always know how to just sit with someone and just be there without talking. And uh, that's interesting. It's um, oddly enough, I'd been chatting to somebody earlier today about the whole grief thing and, and what they said and I think it's different to what you're saying is that there's a lot of literature around grief around Kubler-Ross and the seven states and this and blah, 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 blah. And, and most of that's actually irrelevant because you don't need victim support rocking up on your door saying, hey, you're broken and, you know, everything's going to be terrible. It's actually, it seems to be what she was saying was that you need an idea of hope and you need some sort of path towards that hope. But again, that's a difficult thing to do as an external person, isn't it? Because what you don't need to be sitting there is, is it'll be, no, it'll be fine everything's going to be great you know you don't want to hear that either do you no you definitely know don't and I think you know logically speaking we know that you know we will come out the other side of our grief we will get back to you know our new sense of normalcy without that person in our lives like we will get through it we know that logically and rationally but grief for me wasn't logical or rational it was so emotional and so raw and again that's what surprised me because yes, I'm an emotional person and I, I share and I tell people what I'm feeling and I, and all of those things, but the pure raw emotion that I felt was, it was scary. Yeah. And I think, I think that comment you made about just sitting and being there is really important because, and, and also, I don't know what you think about this. I think 
there are almost halo periods where people offer support. It's, you know, or possibly, I mean, we, a lot of us who've experienced this, you, you get a lot of support at the point of death, particularly up to a funeral, then you have to go through that day and then it all disappears. And actually <laughs> it's that next bit really where you need the support because before that you, you haven't got time to process and deal. It's, it's the anniversaries. It's the, it's the things that remind you. It's the, you know, maybe up, up to the first three months or something. It helps having a, a child that you could focus on. But, it, but, you know, you often find that, you know, some people maybe, um, I don't know, have had a partner that you've lived with for 30, 40 years. You don't have kids. And once they're gone, you're on your own. And, and you have to have people around you who can just do that sitting thing. I, I sort of quite like that just sitting thing i think uh, i think that's quite interesting so what do you think about the longevity i mean obviously a very good friend of yours to be able to they have to be punched twice effectively <laughs> yes but that's the sign of a true friend isn't it just to just to be there when you need them it is a sign of a true friend and i was not very nice to her and uh in a lot of ways and she was coming at it from a place of love and she was worried about her friend and she had right to be worried about me because i I really was in a dark place. It was coming up to Christmas. So my brother passed December 1st. His birthday would have been December 26th. Um, thankfully, my daughter was with me for Christmas. So I wasn't alone. But, you know, her and I had some tough conversations. And I really was in a place that I'm not proud of. And I said a lot of things that I'm not proud of. But again, it just showed me that. So for myself, I have a degree in psychology. Not that that's, you know, this big, huge thing. But I have an understanding of psychology and I have an understanding of how our brain works and even with and my mom was she what she did for work was all based around psychology so I grew up in this world of understanding our brains understanding our emotions and how do we communicate and all of these things so again it just it was so new to me that I didn't know and and going back to what you said about leading up to the funeral it's so true people are there during this time when we're still in shock right? Like, especially with my brother, it didn't hit me Even with my mom. It didn't really, you know, families here and you're, you're entertaining because I had people staying at my house for my mom and this and that. And I was planning the funeral and all of these things. And then you walk out of that funeral home and everybody goes back to their normal life. Mm. And my life has changed forever and people are just gone. And it happened again with my brother and, you know, people, I remember after my brother, um, another really good friend, she brought um, a bag of goodies for my daughter and supper about two weeks after my brother had passed. And that was just, I cried, the relief that I just didn't have to cook that night was just like, I just didn't have the energy. And I was just, I was so grateful for her in that moment. And, and I think it's just people remembering that the person who lost someone, their life doesn't go back to what it was before their life is changed forever. And they have to figure out what that looks like. And that's when we need people is three months down the road, six months down the road, leading up to those anniversaries. My mom's birthday is actually today. Oh, funny. Yeah. And I, I thought about that when I booked this. I'm like, oh, do I, do I want to do this on my mom's birthday? And at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm honoring her in a way by talking about her. So, And actually, that's very much what I was taking from this, strangely enough. You are, you know, so, well, thank you for spending the time with us today, because that's really quite amazing. Um, one, of, one of the things that struck me as you were talking about it is that um, both of your experiences were relatively rapid. And uh, I had an experience which is very different, where I had someone who declined over a very long period of time, again, getting one of those locked in things. And 
And it's a different process because you're grieving every single day until the point where they die becomes that quite a sort of selfish release. Um, and sometimes the very best thing that can happen to a person is 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 to die. And and, and so sometimes grief's very complicated, isn't it? It's and, and I wonder. I, it was very interesting hearing your thing about the hematoma. When death's that fast, it, it's actually quite difficult to understand it in a way, isn't it? Whereas the long lingering thing is horrible, but it is ghastly. But it is, you, you are ready in a certain sort of way. I, I know it wasn't the case with your mum, but do, do you see what I mean? It's like, that there's, a, there's a sort of different responses. And I think sometimes we, we like to prolong the life of our parents, particularly because it suits us, rather than saying actually what's best for them is to allow them to go if they need to. A hundred percent. And I look at everything as, as difficult as both of these situations were. What did I learn from them? And with my mom, she was so clear with her goals of care before she was diagnosed with dementia. And she had talked to me about that throughout my life. Yeah. So I knew what she wanted before she got sick. And then when she got diagnosed, we talked about it. Um, and like I said, the last six months did happen very, very quickly. And I had to have lots of conversations with her doctors. And I thought I understood goals of care until they said to me, like, I was thinking, you know, cancer, like the big things, are we going to yeah. treat her for the big things? And then the doctor said, what if she gets pneumonia? Yeah. Do we treat her? And I went, well, yes, no, wait, I, I don't know. <laughs> and she had actually quit breathing. Um, so she passed away March 24th and that Christmas she had quit breathing and the place she was in, they called and said, you better get out here. You know, she's got a DNR. Like we don't know what's going to happen. She did start breathing again on her own, but that's what, you know, and they said, do you want us to send her for tests? Do you want to know what happened? And I sat there and I'm like, how do I send her for tests? That means we have to drug her, strap her to a stretcher, send her in an ambulance. She has no idea what's happening. It's going to be so stressful and unfair to her. She doesn't want us to prolong her life. She always said if she didn't have quality of life, she didn't want to be here. Yeah. So I, I've talked about it. Well, I haven't talked about it much with my daughter. She's nine, but I know for me, I don't want my life to be prolonged for just because it can be. And I, I, cool, yeah. I was going to say, I think that's something that we need to learn. And, and I remember with totally kind of an aside, but I had to put one of my dogs down during all of this. <laughs> um, and he'd been my best friend for almost 14 years and it was time. And one of my friends said, isn't it nice that we can do the kind things for our animals that we can't do for ourselves? Yeah. yeah. And, and don't even get me started on that thing because that's a whole podcast in, its, in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, however, you, you said something again that was really fascinating there. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I, I mean, how often do we put off these conversations with parents, you know, with partners, uh, spouses, divorced or otherwise, you know, what, what you know, arrangement with the children and what happens, you know, how many stories have I had on a podcast where people have had someone who's died in a car crash and that people have gone like that, but no one knew. No one knew what they wanted. No one knew what it was about. So I think, you know, I really take my hat off to you about the, the preparation and the pre-care because I think, yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, my wife and I have, have planned out the post-funeral party, which is a Vickers and Tarts party if I go. And she's saying, <laughs> well, listen, you don't realize, you realize no one's going to be doing that because the only person that would think it was funny was you and you won't be there. <laughs> And you can turn those conversations into, and you can turn those conversations into something that's a celebration of life, can't you? And say, this is what I wanted, this is how I want to be. And 
you know, and the thing is, and, and set up the legal structure around it as well, because that's really mm-hmm. important. And I think older people often think, oh, no, I don't want to lose that, my independence. And they don't realise that the choices they make are the point of independence. It's the carrying yeah. out, which is where the independence comes to life. So saying things like, well, I want to be in a care home, or, I want a DNO. They are the choices. They're the only, they're the best forms of independence is taking the choices early, isn't it? Absolutely. And I know for me, how whatever my time comes, if it's sudden, if it's not sudden, I know that I want to be not in control. I mean, I do want to be in control of it as much as I can, but I also will never forget the day that my mom, she really battled against her diagnosis of dementia. Like she just, no, I do not have this. They are wrong. And I remember I went out to her house and my daughter wasn't with me. And when I went to leave, she just started to cry. And my mom was not someone that showed her emotions. I don't know how I became someone that shares everything with the world because she kept everything so close to her heart. And she just started to sob and she was very little. And so I hugged her and I said, mom, what's wrong? And she said, I can't put you and Jordan, that's my daughter, through watching me with this disease. I can't, I won't. And during, as things progressed, like that was her biggest fear is not what was going to happen to her, but what it was going to do to me, to me and my daughter. Um, And one of the things she said in different ways throughout as the disease progressed was that she was going to walk out onto the ice and that, because that's how the Eskimos did it. Yeah. And so, or she was going to walk out into the field, like in the middle of winter and just, you know, freeze essentially and let herself go. And the last one was she was going to walk out in front of a bus. And, you know, the medical world told me that's very common for dementia, all of these things. And it was just like, oh, because I knew that she didn't want me and Jordan to watch her go through that. Yeah. And I think it's, and when you hear people and relatives saying this, it's, it's that, it's how, it's the ultimate control, isn't it? It is, because actually the most scary thing of all is putting your hands and actually your life in the hands of another person so it may as well be someone who loves you cares for you who has your best interests at heart and that's usually a family member rather than the medical profession who have other motives let's just say that um mm-hmm. you and i could chat all day i know that and it's really uh, time we stopped because i've taken up enough of your time that's really fascinating and you know thank you for being so honest and talking about grief because I, I agree with you it's something we don't talk about enough the more we normalize grief the more we can de de-label it oddly enough um mm-hmm. and turn, uh, and stop stop being quite so precious about it because it's the most natural thing that ever happens to us it, um if people want to hear more about you or maybe I know you started a podcast recently how do they get in touch with you Nikki? Yeah so I have a Facebook and Instagram page called Life as Our Labels and then my podcast is Life as dot 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 with Nikki Pike the dot 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 represents whatever label we're going to put in there um, and it is on Spotify, Apple, all the places and I do have a website Life as Our Labels as well um, that's a link tree website so pretty much if you google Life as Our Labels one of them should come up. And when you're saying it's life as our label, so O-U-W, yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, different accents. I'm just just checking that out just to, to hear that works. Um, Nikki, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, life is our labels is something that you should be checking out because that seems fantastic. And I will be as well. So thank you so much. And thanks for taking time with us today. Thank you. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. 
Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.